All right. Hey, good morning. Good to see you all. Hope your summer is going well so far. Uh, a, a reminder, my wife and I live in Prescott and it's been like the monsoon season is there. Is it here as well? Have you guys been getting some? Okay, great. The rain has been awesome and the thunder has been slightly terrifying in the middle of the night, but uh, I'm glad that we're getting some moisture uh, here and, and all that. But hey, really glad to get to be with you guys this morning. Looking forward to our time together. You guys have been in a series called Rhythm, and you've been looking at different rhythms in the life of a Jesus follower and different uh, spiritual disciplines, different habits, different routines that are formed into uh, the life of someone who follows Jesus. And I'm excited because today we're going to talk about the rhythm of work. And some of you are like, you're excited about that? Like, <laughs> I'm not working right now. We're going to talk about the rhythm of work today. And here's our goal. Our goal is not to feel like anxious about uh, Monday. Uh, our goal is not to feel like uh, work's not going well. Our goal is to walk out with a biblical understanding on the role and rhythm of work in the life of a Jesus follower. So we wanna, we wanna have a better understanding of what work looks like in the rhythm and the life of a Jesus follower, not what it looks like through the lens of the world, but through the lens of someone who is following Jesus. I, I was thinking about this this past week. I, I don't know if something pops into your mind, but I was thinking about the most challenging stretch of work I had ever had in my life. And it came about five years ago. I was serving at United Christian Youth Camp, UCYC, right over the hill. And we had purchased our third camp property. And this camp property, uh, it, it matched the name. It was a rough place. And we purchased it in like 2015. And we set the audacious goal to have it ready for thousands of campers by 2016. But little did we know, and certainly little did I know, that upon purchasing that property, the second that you touch a building, you have to bring everything up to code. And you guys are like, duh, okay? I'm from like Las Vegas, so I had no idea this existed. And so there's like 100 buildings on property. They were still running with a central bathhouse, which just sounds like an issue waiting to happen. So we raised all this money, all these resources, and then we hit all of the red tape of trying to get this facility ready, trying to get permits, trying to get everything, and, and the months are ticking by, and campers are coming, and it comes to the point where campers are arriving the next day. Now, there's a couple of problems. Uh, first off, I have no idea what I'm doing. Like, I'm trying to figure this out. Second, we don't have any certificate of occupancy for any of our building. So technically and legally, no one was allowed to be inside of the buildings. Third, we're kind of still building the plane while we're flying it. So for an example, we thought it'd be fun to have like horses up at this property that kids could ride around. We hired, uh, see this is going to show my city boyness, a horse company. I don't know what to call it. Uh, you guys are like, yo, man, that's not good. Um, well, they're not like taking care of the horses. So like the horses, like rib cages are showing. I'm like, kids are going to think they ended up at a nightmare version of Disneyland. So... Next day, 200 campers show up. We still don't have the certificate of occupancy. So we have the inspector there, and our facilities team is literally following this inspector around. And he would say stuff like, this wall right here, 
It needs to have a vent, and you, or otherwise you can't have a certificate of occupancy. And I kid you not, the facilities team had a hammer and just slammed a hammer through the drywall. <laughs> it's got a vent now. The guy's like, okay. Like, that was how that day went. Well, we get the camp off the ground, and I'm like working 16-hour days. It's this long stretch of work. But this thing with the horses is not going well at all. They constantly are looking hungry. And then we have this issue start to pop up where like someone is setting the horse corral like on fire. Like one night I get a phone call at like 10 o'clock and they're like, hey, the hay bales and the horse corral are on fire. And I'm like, well, put it out. Like <laughs> I'm not the right guy to call about this. Well, it turns out that the company we had hired, we were paying and they were not paying the wrangler. And so to retaliate, the wrangler was setting the hay bales on fire. <laughs> it felt like I was in a Western. <laughs> I really did. And, and so here, I'll be honest with you guys. I was so exhausted from this season of work that one night the wrangler, this guy was like super wacky. We finally figured out it was him. We're like, you have to leave. He just decided at one in the morning to let two dozen horses out of the corral and to just run across the camp property. So I get a call at one in the morning, they're like, the horses are loose. And I'm like, again, you're calling the wrong guy. <laughs> Which, like, this is a lasso, by the way, that I'm doing right now. Like, what am I supposed to do? That summer of work was nonstop, draining, challenging, but it was also rewarding. And students came, and students met Jesus, and we slowly figured it out, and that camp property has seen thousands of people, but it was a tremendously challenging time in the work that God had put in front of me. And I would guess for you that there are seasons of your life, whether you're in it right now or it came in the past, where work has been challenging and work has uh, means something different to all of us. So here's what I want to do is I want to frame work up through kind of our culture's perspective and then a biblical perspective. Here, here's what I want to start with. When you hear the word work, I think some of you probably instantly think of like a job, a J-O-B. For the, the point of today or the context of today, when we're talking about work, we want to cover anyone in that mix. So whether you have a traditional job or whether you're uh, a parent who stays at home taking care of their kids, you might be retired and you serve and you volunteer and you help care for your family or your grandchildren, wherever you land, we're talking about that today. And because of that, we're going to define work as the labor God has set before us. Work is the labor God has set before us. So even if you're not working 40 hours a week, what labor God has put before you is the work that's in front of you. And so all of us in this room, as long as we're still breathing and we're still here on earth, even if you don't have a traditional job, you do have work. You have a labor set before you. So a question for you guys. What has existed longer in the history of the world than sin? Yeah, it's going to be a pretty easy one, right? Work. Some of you are like, that does, that does not compute. Work and sin are like equal for me. Genesis chapter 1 
has our first example of work. And I'll, I'll, I'll remind you that sin doesn't come in the picture until Genesis chapter three. In Genesis one, I'll read it to you. It's not going to be on the screens. It says, God blessed them, humans, and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. In other words, work. There's work to do. The subduing of the earth, the good rule over creation. One chapter later in Genesis chapter 2, at the very beginning, it says that God worked for six days. And on the seventh day, he rested. Baked into the design of the world is the rhythm of work. But here's what we know to be true as Jesus' followers is this idea that in Genesis chapter 3, we have this thing called sin. And one of the root things that sin does is it perverts the good creation. So what God intended for good, sin begins to corrupt. So we see this through Adam and Eve in their relationship with each other. We see this in our relationship to God's creation, that sin gets in the way and invades and messes that up. So therefore, work is the same way. What God originally intended as the human good call to keep the earth, to subdue it, to be the stewards, to be the laborers of the earth, to work it justly, to have a rhythm that's healthy for the soul, it's now been perverted by sin. And so during our brief blip here on earth, as we try to become more like Jesus, we want to reclaim a healthy view of work. You tracking with me on this, this process that we have to go through? So I want to I point out two categories in our cultural moment that we view, we view work through. Two kind of bends that are both unhealthy, both a product of sin. The first way some of us might view work is we say that our work defines our worth. Our work defines our worth. This was never part of God's good plan, God's rhythm for us. But what happens in our 21st century culture that's all based on performance and achievement, right, is that slowly we see whatever labor, again, not just a job, but whatever labor is put before us defines how valuable you are. So it could be how much money you make, how many people know you, your influence in the community, your status, the project you're responsible for, your longevity, whatever it is, some of us fall into the category where our work defines our worth. We work towards money. We work towards some dream job. And I don't know about you, but if you ever arrive at it, it sometimes can feel like a nightmare. And we slowly reenact a story that's been told for 2,000 years of people chasing after the things of this world only to arrive at them and find that they do not satisfy. And so when we allow our work to define our worth, we're robbing God of the intent he had for us. So some of us fall into that category. To knock myself down a couple of pegs and to try to share honestly and, and authentically with you, that is 100% me. I've shared this before here. My biggest struggle, the way I'm wired, any personality test I take, I always come up as an achiever, as a driver, and, and I like some of those things, but the sinful flair of that 
is I can be a workaholic. So when I preach to you today, I want you to know God's been working on my heart in this. I spent the last two weeks helping lead uh, and direct a camp at UCYC. I'm here this morning. Tonight, I fly to Tennessee for two weeks for another camp. I get back, I preach, <laughs> and then I say sorry to my wife, I guess. Like, I, I struggle with work defining me. So that's one category. Here's the other category that we fall into. It's this. The goal of life is to work as little as possible. The goal of life is to work as little as possible. I want to be sensitive here, and I'm not trying to make a political or a social statement, but I think it's no secret that there has been trouble trying to get people to go back to work. There are labor shortages across the board. And so the first category, work defining our worth, our culture tends to value that one quite a bit. And the second one we tend to look down on a little more, but it is valid. There are certain people whose bend of sin towards work is that the goal is to work as little as possible. And that the north star of that life is a life of laziness and leisure. The word for this that we've heard before is hedonism, which is a pursuit that the end goal of your life is pleasure. And in the same way, the Bible has a lot to say about this, this view on work as well, that, that there's work that's set before us. The Bible speaks against laziness. The Bible speaks towards the goodness of work. And what I would guess is all of us in this room lean towards one of these two categories, and I don't say any of this to uh, bring guilt or anything like that. I want to bring it up and be honest with you so that as we go into God's word, we have some self-awareness and we're able to look at a reflection of ourselves and let the gospel begin to shape us. So that's exactly what Paul does in his letter to the Colossians chapter three. We're going to break down a few verses that really will serve us well to, again, reclaim the role and rhythm of work in the life of a believer. That's what we're after here. So if you're taking notes, here's the first point. In the life of a Jesus follower, work is worship. Work is worship. Now, I don't know about you, for a long time, though, I thought worship is what the band just did a few minutes ago, where we, like, sing some songs, or maybe I'll throw on Christian radio in the car and really, really worship by myself for a few minutes, don't care what anyone else around me thinks. Worship, though, is so much more than just singing. God's Word, again and again, teaches that worship is our consistent recognition of who God is, and his greatness and his grandeur and our place in that creation. Worship is our consistent belief that God is in control. It's our thankfulness for the provision that God has given us in our lives. It's recognizing that in every season, God is with us. It's praising with our mouth and with our actions. This is worship. And so in Colossians chapter 3, verse 17, it says this, And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. 
Whatever you do, whether in word or deed, in the original language means whatever you do. <laughs> like anything you do, any words that come from your mouth, any action, it says, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Doing something in the name of the Lord Jesus. Thanks to God the Father. If we were to just put an equal sign up there, it's saying, whatever you do, worship. Right? Giving thanks to God for what he's provided us. Doing it in the name of Jesus. With God on our minds. This is worship. So as we work and as we labor, we are called to be people who worship in the midst of that. Now you might say, are you adding more work to my work? <laughs> this is actually freeing in the life of a Jesus follower. Check this out. Whatever labor is in front of you right now, how incredible is it that the God of the universe invites us to worship him in the midst of it? Like to, 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 to whatever he set before us, we can do it in the name of the Lord Jesus. Isn't that freeing, that recognition? That as we go into that, there's a greater purpose than just the widget that you're producing or the kids that you're wrangling or the students you're trying to teach or the thing that you're working or building. There's more to it. As Jesus followers, when we just make our work about our own achievement or the task at hand, and we do not build worship into it, we miss out on a regular blessing from God, a peace or a contentment that comes through this. Now, remember, we said Genesis chapter 1, God has this good design for work. Genesis chapter 3, sin gets in the mix, so there's a malfunction that can occur here. We say work is worship, but here's the malfunction that can actually happen. We tend to worship our work. We tend to worship our work. Let me point out how this looks like. We'll even use some biblical concepts. What we do is subtly, we think that our work will save us or deliver us. So what we do is we sacrifice our time and our talents and our energy and our vitality and our emotional bandwidth. We sacrifice this on the altar of our job. And we hope that the God of the job, our boss, our employer, the person we're trying to please, the school we're attending, as we sacrifice on this altar, we hope that that false God rewards us with money or with influence or with a good grade or your kids going to bed on time, which is a great reward that is from God. We have to be wary of this. That the subtle thing that can happen is we start to worship our work. We're called to worship God in our work. What happens as we do this? When we do this, we start to put things in perspective. Every interaction is not do or die. An upset customer, a rough day with your kids, it doesn't mean the breaking point. We're given greater perspective as we worship God throughout our work. Let me give you an illustration of what I mean. 
Just this last week, I mentioned very briefly, I was helping direct a camp at UCYC. It was a very large camp. There were 800 junior hires there. And one of the days, we had to move 500 chairs. And there, there was not enough people to go around to do the work. And so it was me and another guy moved 500 chairs so that a room like this, all the kids could sit in. And it took like four hours to move all 500 chairs with just two of us. So we get done, and like, as we're doing the first 500, I'm feeling um, like, let's just get through this. You know what I'm saying? Like, we're just going to get through this, and then it's done, and it's done for the week. We get done moving it, and I kid you not, some of the decision makers in the mix came in, looked at the room, and do you want to know what they said? You already know. I think we need the chairs back in here. <sighs> let's just say your boy was not worshiping for a moment. So this time around, as we move 500 chairs back in, I'm no longer like moving around like, okay, we're just going to get through this. I'm like, I can't believe this. And then I'm saying really sinful stuff. Don't they know who I am? Like, no one cares. I'm moving the chairs around. I'm throwing them down on the ground. I'm like, and then I thought of you guys. And I thought of the sweet goodness of God that I was teaching about work this weekend. And I was like, crud. What would like a really good Jesus follower do right now? And I had to pause for a moment because it's really easy with the labor in front of you to just get into stinking thinking and to be negative and to be upset. But the perspective that we can have is we can worship in the middle of that. So here's what I tried to do, and I'm not boasting, but here's what I humbly tried to do is I just tried to pause and think of what was good about God in that moment. And so here's what I had come up with. God, thank you so much that I have the energy to do this. Like, praise God, this came from you. Thank you that I'm able to manipulate things and I'm able to move in such a way that, 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 that you allow me to do this. Thank you for the kids who are going to meet Jesus. Thank you that tonight I am going to fall into my bed and get a really good night's sleep. Right? Like, work is worship, and in the moments where it's difficult, the labor in front of you, when we choose to frame it that way, we find a peace in the Lord. So I want to challenge you, as someone who's in it with you and who has a problem with working too much, I want to challenge you to worship God in your work. Think of him. Think of the labor in front of you. See how it changes your perspective. Here's the second one we find in Colossians 3. Work produces humility. Work produces humility. One of my favorite definitions of humility comes from C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis says, humility is not thinking less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less. I'll say it one more time for you. Humility is not thinking less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less. And before we get into this verse in Colossians, I want to remind us that one of the things that we want to grow into as we walk the life of a Jesus follower is we want to look more like Jesus, which means having humility, which means it's less about us being the center of the universe. And so what Colossians is going to show us is that work is a tool to produce humility. Colossians chapter 3 verse 22 says this, slaves obey your earthly masters in everything and do it 
not only when their eye is on you and to curry their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Let's look at that first part. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything and do it. From an ancient context, slaves were in all nations and all cultures. It would have been referred to as an indentured, ser- an indentured servant. In a modern context, we can kind of comfortably say that a submission to some kind of authority, whether that's through a job, a school, that that would apply in this context. So look what he says, obey your earthly masters and everything and do it. This will not be the most popular thing I've ever said in this room, but employees, listen to your bosses. (laughs) You may go now. (laughs) I'm just kidding. Do what they say. Honor them. Respect them. Speak well about the leaders in your life when they're not around. Pray for them. Do what they ask. Well, that's impossible. (laughs) That would be the hardest thing I've ever done. Do you know how much I would have to humble myself? Exactly. At times, God has placed people of authority in our life that are challenging for us and that we would open-handedly submit. And the result of that slowly and over time is a humility is produced inside of us. Well, are you saying that I should never stand up for myself? I'm not saying that. Are you saying that if my boss asked me to do something unethical, I should do it? No. I'm saying in the day-to-day rhythm, whoever God has put as a head of you, submit. And the result of this will be a calm humility, a trust that's produced inside you as you work and as you labor. It's no secret that one of the most dangerous attributes that we can possess as humans is pride. Thinking of ourselves as the God of the universe. So how good is it that God intends to use the tool of work to remind us that we're actually not the God of the universe? That we actually can't even control our coworkers, amen? We definitely can't control our kids. <laughs> like, like there's a humility that's produced in us as we obey our earthly masters. It goes on and it kind of ups the ante. It says, not only when their eye is on you and to curry their favor. Basically, don't only submit when they're looking at you. Do it all the time. This is again a challenge for me. Maybe it is for you too. I'm very good when when the lights are on and the show is happening. I'm very good at being on demand. I'll pick up trash as long as people are watching me. Right? Like, I'll be kind to everyone. I want to do that when no one's watching. Why? I want to be more like Jesus. I want to have more humility in my life. The paradigm shift that we benefit from as Christians is this. It becomes less about us and our advancement, and it becomes more about us becoming more like Jesus. How could your work be producing that in your life? And I promise you that if God has put you in a place where you have labor, there is a place to grow in humility. Now, how do you find this? Ah, I'm the most humble person I know. Well, there's a sign right there. Um, (laughs) Where do you need to work on humility in your life? Here's what I would suggest. In the labor God has put in front of you, 
where do you find yourself most frustrated? That's probably a good place to start. Truly. And I'm taking my own advice. Where do you find yourself most frustrated in regular labor? Start working on humility there. When, it, when, it, when you meet difficulties in those moments, just say, God, I want to be humble. What does that look like in this moment? What does it look like to put someone else ahead of me? What does it look like for me to speak well? What does it look like for me to not get my way right now? <laughs> Produce that in me, God. So work produces humility. And here's the last one. Work builds God's kingdom. Work builds God's kingdom. One verse later in Colossians 3.23, it says, Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. That line as working for the Lord, not for human masters. This is very key to catch, and this is a truism of the Christian faith that should be highly encouraging. Whatever labor, large or small, that God has put in front of you, Jesus' followers have this confidence, this blessing, that we're not just working for the person we see, we're working for the God of the universe. It means we have a constant motivation and drive in front of us. When our work is for the Lord... When we know that God is in our work, the only result is the good building of God's kingdom, the subduing of the earth, the ruling over, which practically results in more people following Jesus, families being restored, things being set right. There's a couple implications that that one line gives us. If you're a Christian, you should also be a hard worker. If you're a Christian, you should be a hard worker. There's no secret, and I know we could all amen this one, but there's been a cultural loss of work ethic. I would love for Jesus followers to be known for how hard they work. I would love for someone to be like, I bet that, that they love Jesus. Why? They just, they work like they're working for the, the Lord. An implication for us in the rhythm of his work is that we're not working for human masters, we're working for the Lord, so we should work hard. Another implication, we should be on guard for things that would distract us from the labor God's given us. In 2021, it looks like Facebook scrolling, Netflix binging, 25 different habits that you're, or hobbies that you're passionate about. Am I saying those things are bad? I'm not saying they're bad. But when we overindulge and it takes away from the work that God's laid out before us, it's a temptation that distracts. Another implication for us is that our work has an eternal impact. And so as we work, there are things going on behind the scenes and under the surface that we can never understand and we won't see until that verse says, we have our inheritance in heaven. When we get there and we have eternal life, we'll be able to see moments where God used us. This Bible, I try to bring with me each time I, I preach, it has my name engraved on the front of it, and I didn't engrave it myself, I promise you. 
About five years ago, every morning, I would sit down with a friend of mine who's a firefighter, and he did not know Jesus. And we would just hang out, and we'd talk, and we'd open up the Bible together, and we'd read it together. And it was one of those things where I'm like, I do not think he is getting this. And I ended up getting him a Bible with his name engraved on the front of it, and I said, just keep reading it, man. You're, you're a good man. Keep reading it. A couple years go by, and I visit him in Las Vegas, and he gives me a package, and I open it, and this Bible's inside of it. And he had my name engraved on it. And he had become a Jesus follower. And not through me, by the way. <laughs> it's like, thanks for the conversations. That was cool. I got you this. But I hold fast that perhaps those little moments that I was a part of his life were causing the Holy Spirit to work in and through him, that God was using my labor for that. There are things that you can't see that God is using you for right now. If you're in education, like there are, there are families that God wants to use you to minister to. Even in trades, carpentry, plumbing, like all those moments, you're interacting with people, you have opportunities to show excellence in your work. They're in every field. And let me say this to friends in the room where you're retired, I think God has given you a special and unique ministry to the next generation where the, some of the labor set before you is welcoming younger couples or younger people into your home to care for, to listen to, to listen to all the dumb decisions we're making and to still care about us. There is a labor set before you and God will use you for an eternal impact. I'm going to end with a quote from Dwight Eisenhower. He was the supreme commander of the Allied forces during World War II, and he carried this poem I'm going to read to you around in his breast pocket, and then he read it at the 20th anniversary of the D-Day landings. And I think it frames up the Christian view on work quite well from a pretty exceptional human being. Dwight D. Eisenhower had this poem, sometimes when you're feeling important, sometimes when your ego's in bloom, Sometimes, when you take it for granted, you're the best qualified in the room. Sometime when you feel that you're going would leave an unfillable hole, just follow these simple instructions and see how they humble your soul. Take a bucket and fill it with water. Put your hand in it up to the wrist. Pull it out, and the hole that's remaining is a measure of how much you'll be missed. <laughs> you can splash... All you wish when you enter, you may stir up the water galore, but stop and you'll find that in no time it can look quite the same as before. The moral of this quaint example is to just do the best you can. Be proud of yourself, but remember, there's no indispensable man. Your job title, how much money you make, the project that you're all about, the obsessions, whatever it is, all these things will fade. But the hope of the Jesus follower is that even though our earthly contributions one day will be dust, we believe we're working for an internal purpose, the good building of God's kingdom. And so be encouraged as you labor this coming week. Be encouraged in that rhythm that the God of the universe steps into it with you. You are not alone. He is for you. Take heart in that. Your work is worship. Your work produces humility. Your work builds God's kingdom. Let's pray. God, we love you. I thank you for the fact that you give us instructions on reclaiming work. I pray for the people in here and the labor they have set before them. 
I pray that you would allow them to see you and worship you in the midst. God, help us to be humble people. Help us to build your kingdom as we work. Help us to work hard and for people to to see that and through that to see you. And God, I do pray for people in this room where work can be an idol. Help us to put that aside, to see that our worth and our value comes from you. Help us to be people of the gospel, people who follow Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. As always, I appreciate being here there next week. We are talking about the rhythm of rest, praise God. Okay, so work and then talking about resting. There's a prayer team down here for you. Would love to pray for you. Thanks so much for being here. Have a great Sunday.